In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room I invite you to just notice your next breath and perhaps take it in a little bit deeper and hold it for a count of two or three and release it. Let's try one more, and as you release it, make a little noise. And so, in that deep, abiding breath, I know that we let go and let God. Let spirit be more and more in and through and as each and every one is. For our life is that life. There is one life, it's perfect, it is God's life. And the truth of our being throughout tradition, throughout history, all of the great teachers and avatars and wisdom teachers through the ages have expressed the same truth and the same principle. That this presence lives within each and every one of us, all around us, through us, as us. And so in that recognition, I know on this day, this Mother's Day, with so much happening in the world, I just give thanks for the words, the grace, the beauty, the intelligence, and the consciousness to stand upon the truth as things shift and change in this world of form. And to understand it, and to continue to work with the question, what is mine to know and what is mine to do? So I just give thanks. I circulate gratitude in my heart right now. It is a heartfelt experience that my words but launch me in that direction but not, do not fulfill the energetic. But I am so grateful for life. I'm so grateful to be here today. I'm so grateful for family and friends, for teachers, for mothers, good or bad, for all of the people that have invited me to give birth to a new idea and to a new way of being upon this planet. I'm grateful for our musicians this day, our volunteers. I'm grateful for the, all of these people that have served this community and served the world and are in service right now. We bless all of the people that have been displaced in Fort McMurray, all of their families, the resources that are being called forth and being brought together. And the blessing for me, what I know is that if, when I am the presence of love, when I'm the presence of compassion, when I'm the presence of knowing and standing grounded in the truth of my being, I don't need to send anything anywhere for it is already sent, for we are all connected. And so my practice this day and each moment that I remember is the mindfulness to know that love, compassion, generosity of spirit, and the knowing that the highest and best for myself and for others is a powerful, powerful way of being. I also know that what is mine to do will be my opportunity. And for this I give thanks. 
for this community, for this center and, and, and beacon of light and truth upon this planet. I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. There we are. So, as we have been doing over the last few weeks, I'm going to invite you to do it again right now. Is that we're going to stand up and we're going to find somebody to, to uh, uh, interact with for a moment. And uh, it, sh- it shifts, it wakes us up and it shifts our energy. No one has been hurt yet. We haven't lost anybody doing this. So, I want you to look at that person. See, you're already off and running. I want you to look at that person and say, Happy Mother's Day. I bet you you had a mother and have one. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being alive on this planet. You have gifts to share. You have love to share. You have power to reveal. And possibility to fulfill. Let's make the world a better place. And so it is. You can give them a hug if you'd like. Handshake. Beautiful. So, a world that works for everyone. And our themes for freedom, uh, freedom by belonging this month. We've been using the book Trance of Scarcity and a few other uh, sources. And, and it's really a wonderful uh, and timely discussion for what's happening in the world. And I, I want to weave some of what's happening with the, 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 tr- you know, the tragedy and the displacement that's going on in, in Fort McMurray. Because I think it's important to talk about how we as awake and caring and compassionate individuals can be our best in the face of this. So, what to give birth? Mother's Day, metaphysically, I found this beautiful, beautiful book. I'm going to share with you at the end of my by Dr. Ernest Holmes called "Your Spiritual Power." It was in my library, and I was wandering around in prayer. Part of my practice is to go down to where we have all the books, and all of a sudden, it jumped off the shelf, and I opened to a page, and it's it's an article, it's a prayer, uh, it's a short passage um, about giving birth, and I thought, how appropriate! Thank you, Dr. Holmes, for guiding me in that. So we're talking about Mother's Day today. What we embody is uh, what we become is next week and a way of being and then the six phases of belonging. So to give birth. So a lot of people, just about everybody here has had a mother, correct? <laughs> I've learned, this is a very, I gotta tell you, this is one of the most difficult days to preach that I've ever experienced because for years I assumed that everybody, like Teresa's song, someone's there praying for me. And that's lovely, but a lot of people don't have anybody praying for them, and they don't have a good relationship with their mother. And I had a lady that's no longer in the center that actually left because I got up and talked about how lovely mothers are and how loving, and because her mother wasn't any of that. And I thought, wow, there's a, there's a trap that I can fall into. You know, you think of mother, dear old mom. So maybe your mother looked like this. <laughs> and maybe your mother looked like this. Now, I came home from school a lot of times, just about every night as I can recall, and my mother was never dressed like June Cleaver. I don't think anybody's mother was ever dressed like June Cleaver. So I want to just say to you right now that I wasn't there. I didn't have your mother. So if you had a great mom and there's great love that fills your heart this day, that's a beautiful thing. And if you didn't have a great mom, 
the beautiful thing about that is one of the things I know about us as human beings, we're not stuck to repeat that pattern. And the things that we don't get as children many times become the gifts that we give the world. And so just keep that in mind that we're, we have, and I truly believe, and you can email me and call, well, don't call me, but you can email me. <laughs> but I truly believe that at the spirit, at the soul level, we pick our families. We pick our mother and father by right of consciousness because there's the opportunity. Where the greatest opportunity lies for the fulfillment of our eternal souls. I believe that there's a, a divine guidance and an agreement that we step into. So I just want to make sure that I cover both arenas here today. That if your mother was not the, uh, what you would consider the ideal or the prototypical mom, we, we support and honor you for your courageous journey to be here and, and to be in this conversation. <clears throat> Let me catch up with you here. So... We're talking about this week and next week, and I'm going to touch on, because we've got some beautiful things planned today, uh, and I want to leave room for that. We're actually going to do a christening at the second ceremony, so if you'd like to witness a christening for Mother's Day, you're welcome to stay. But in Cicero, who was a wonderful thinker back in, in Rome, he lived from 106 to 43 BC, before the Common Era. And he wrote an article called The Six Habits of Thinking That Keep Us prisoners of ever shrinking living isn't it remarkable that that far, far long ago that people were still challenged by this idea of shrinking and and it ties in beautifully i'm going to talk about more about this next week about these our stories how we we get attached to certain experiences and and, and stories and then it, it creates the life we have which is a beautiful thing because we get to change our story anytime we'd like you know, it's, um, so Cicero, and I'll touch on a, a couple of these today, but Cicero, and you can go to the next slide, I know June Beaver's, a, a, and I want to talk a little bit about that building that's up on the screen, because it's, it's quite significant. Does anybody recognize that place? Oh, great, I get to dazzle you with something today that I think is very interesting. But Cicero said the first one of these is the illusion that personal gain is made up of crushing others. That in order for us to have what is ours, or what we want, we have to, in some way, uh, take something away from another human being. And it's, it's such a popular idea, and we see it all the time with you, you know, cases. We have a, a friend who's been at a trial downtown Edmonton, been going on, and, and she's a friend of our, our uh, son and daughter-in-law. She's on jury duty, and she's been on jury duty for like a year. I keep saying to her, now she can't talk about it, she's a great juror. I don't know who it is or anything, but the, the trial keeps going on, and it's a trial of fraud where people were promised something and then they invested their money and then the money went away. And so this trial's going on and on, but it's this idea that I need to take something from you to have my good. And it's a very, very small idea. And it sets us up, it, it, you know, energetically and, 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 and karmically, the law of cause and effect, see, there's spiritual coin that gets paid. There's no, there's no accidents. And so it's interesting when we think that that mindset will get us ahead in some capacity, but a lot of people believe that that I'm going to get mine, that I'm going to crush another person to have mine. And so what it does is it, it, it assumes that resources are finite. There's not enough. It's consciousness that there, there's not enough. There's not enough to go around. We can only secure our piece of the pie at the expense of others. Arise out of, and, and what it is, it arises out of the fear of scarcity and death. And there's cer there certainly are things on this planet in form that are finite, there's not an unlimited amount of gold. I've watched that Yukon gold thing for a few years. I'm always fascinated. These guys, 
They're always trying to break even. Have you ever noticed? I don't know if you ever watched this show, but they're always get to the end of the season. We've got to break even. I need 100 ounces more of gold so I can come back next year and break even. It's like, get a job, will you? <laughs> come on, boys. But it's fascinating because it, it's, you know, I get, into, I get addicted to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're back there this year again. But it's, it's about getting, you know, hoarding and, and that, that whole addiction that we can fall into. But see what's limitless, unlimited. And, and, and one of the things that's beautiful about this, so what I know about life, what I know about spirit, what I know about being on this planet is everything happens for a reason. And so we have this, this tragedy that is going on and, and so many people have lost everything they own. And that is sad and it's, it's horrific and it's, in so many ways, it's, it cracks your heart open. I couldn't imagine losing everything that I have because so much of what I have I, it has so many beautiful memories for me. But when we step out of the trance of scarcity around this situation, and because it's so close, it's so because there's things going on all the time of that we're, we're th- people lose, are losing things, homes and lives and careers, and you know the, the, the history of the world is cycles, economic cycles. But what is unlimited, what is abundance is compassion, worth, and acceptance. They're infinitely abundant. And so when we watch people coming out of that environment and people standing by the side of the road and offering them food and gasoline and whatever they need to get them to the next location and the outpouring of resources, and we're participating in that as well as a community. I sent an email out to our board and asked that our tithe could be uh, directed towards the Canadian Red Cross this month. And our tithe is usually around five or $6,000 a month. We're a tithing community. And we do this because we, we want to give back to God. See, tithing is when you, when you tithe to a spiritual or, or where you're spiritually inspired, you're giving through the organization to give back to God at the highest level of that. And, it, and in, what it does is it signifies that, and, and identifies, and it's the paradox of surrendering and giving, because giving primes the pump. Laura and I, are, are, uh, we were in our intentional giving program, and it was pointed out to us that, that it would be beautiful if we could also give something on Sundays in addition, and we've decided to do that. We've boosted up our tithe because we want to boost up our capacity to give and receive. And so part of what you'll see this, this week for both Laura and I is we have our envelopes, and that's additionally to what we give through our intentional giving program. But it's a gift to us, and we've watched, the, we've watched the blessings start to open up in our lives in a bigger way. So if you're stuck financially, one of the ways to open that up is to start giving more. And I'm not talking about giving here, give somewhere. Because when you, when you hoard, you know, when you give because there's not enough, what are you reinforcing? The trance of scarcity, there's not enough. There's not enough. I, don't, I, I refuse to live my life that there's not enough. There is enough. There is enough love and compassion, all the things that are eternal and powerful and beautiful. And when I stand in partnership with the divine presence, loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. As above, so below. That's a little chant I'm going to be teaching over the next uh, year, but it's a beautiful song. All I need is here and now. Loving spirit dwells in me now and evermore. But there's something to dwell on. It's an invitation. Spirit cannot show up in our lives without an invitation. We don't, we don't open the doors of our heart. And Ernest Holmes' reading at the end of this today it just gives me God bumps every time I read it. He speaks to this. 
and in such a beautiful way. So this illusion that personal gain is made up of crushing others. And what we're seeing right now is, is the capacity and the opening of hearts and, and pouring forth the generosity of spirit to, for one another in this planet and in, in this province. It's amazing. It's the presence of God being expressed. There's God in form. How can, how can we give back? How can I, what's mine to do here? That's the prayer I use every day. More than once. What's mine to do here, God? And then if I dip into that, is a, this, the second point is that when I dip into that, I'm guided and directed. Then there's a knowing that shows up for me. But it's a practice. It's a different way of listening. The second one of these ideas that Cicero talked about 2000, over 2,000 years ago, the tendency to worry about things that cannot be changed or corrected. Now, this is a really popular idea. And, once I, and, and it's one of my hobbies that I had to give up. I just... Because if I worry about stuff I can't fix, it's great. I just run in a circle. It's a boondoggle. Boondoggle is activity for the sake of activity. It it reflects a lack of faith in the stream of life. We either step into the stream. Remember last week I said, are you you in or out? You're stepping in or not? The paradox is when we step in. See, we think surrender is giving up. Surrender is saying, come on, spirit. Loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. As above, so within. All I need is here and now. And this leads to a negative self-centeredness that I'm responsible for everything that happens. See, that's a very holy place to be, isn't it? I'm responsible for everything that happens. I was raised that way. I was given this message that anything that... There's a war in the Middle East. I'm 11 years old. It's my fault. It's some Because I didn't, I didn't behave my, what my mother told me to do. Now there's war in the Middle East. Oh, my gosh. Whew. Okay, Mom, if you say so. And then she'd say, well, offer up your sins for the poor souls in purgatory. I said, well, that'll give me something good to do. What did that mean? I didn't have any spiritual practice to do that. It was just this anxiety. And I know she meant well. I, I, you know, my mother did the best she could. I'm responsible for their happiness. There's another one of these. Anybody feel responsible? You're responsible for my happiness, by the way. And we are videotaping you today. So, all day. We have camera crews that are going to follow you around. Or I should, oh, I should have called. If I had only called, if I had just called, they would not be sick. Okay. But some people feel, think that way. And it's, it's really a small self-centeredness. Uh, the way over on the part of, on, on the other side of caring so much that we, we, we really aren't any good to anybody because we're so self-centered in our small thinking. You know what I'm saying? To be able to stand in the middle of this, this thing going on and just say, There's, God's presence is here now. What is happening here for these people? And what can we do and what can I do? And knowing, my teacher used to say years ago, I said, what do we do when it's overwhelming things happen? And she'd say, no, first and foremost, there's something to know, that each and every person has everything they need. Each and every person has everything they need. And for many, what, what awakens in us? So, so many times when we have tragedy or loss in our life, something awakens in us. See, our souls are eternal. We're, we're not our homes. We're not, we're not the things we own. Our things that we own are a reflection, but how we hold them. These beautiful plants today in, 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 in celebration of Mother's Day, I think this is a beautiful tradition that we can build on. These are alive. I'll never forget my friend David Leonard. He went to visit another minister that Laura and I both know, and and there was nothing but plastic plants in the entire place. Plastic plants everywhere. And, and he called me and he said, I, I, the only thing that's alive in this place is the cat. 
I'll never forget that. I had, a, I had a lady when I was in Fillmore, beautiful little church in Southern California, and I had this, there was this plastic plants that had been there since 19, since plastic was invented. And they would bring them out and they'd put them right there. There was a podium, a big podium, and then there was a little thing and we'd put the, and I'd come out and I'd see that and I'd take those flowers and I'd put them out in the way. And I'd go back to my office to get something, I'd come back and the flowers would be there again. She just wanted to have the color there. And I said, but they're dead. <laughs> so we compromised and I would buy a bouquet of, uh, uh, arrangement of flowers. And I said, see, they're alive. So it's beautiful to have this life here for those that, have, that, that it has meaning for you. And one of the, so one of the reasons most traditions talk about this and us as well is meditation and prayer. When we spend, that's why meditation and prayer is so important because it slows us down. It grounds us in the truth of our being. It's for the safety of this moment. The safety of this moment. It is, it's a hammock that can hold us. Prayer and meditation are a hammock. I love that metaphor, Mark Nepo. I got that from Mark Nepo. It's a hammock that can hold us in the present moment. However we get in there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't care. It's not the beautiful thing about the divine presence. I mean, all of the goofy stuff that I've done in my life, that it has simply said, okay, and to turn, just to turn in a way to shift something in me and say, I love you. Thank you so much for this day. Gratitude and appreciation for whatever, whatever that source of life is, that stream of life, it doesn't care. God is not a religious scientist. God's not a, a, a Protestant or a United Church of, what, uh, of Canada or a, a Lutheran or a Jew or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu. But we need context. We need a, a box for us to put it in. As I said last week, when our religion becomes our identity, we lose the sacredness. Our way is the only way. Our way is one way. And if it's connecting you at a deeper level with that truth that lives within you, beautiful. And let that inspire you and move you forward and inform you. So, then I want to talk a little bit about this building. Oops, can we go back? That home there is in Ephesus, Turkey. It's in western Turkey. And it is uh, theorized by many that this is the home that John the Apostle built for uh, Jesus' mother Mary when she left Jerusalem. And it was hidden for years and years. And there was a, there was a German uh, nun who, um, I can't remember, Catherine Emmerich, Emmerich that had, had visions of the life of Jesus and wrote uh, extensively about that life. So she, she tapped into the Akashic record, let's say, where all of the information is stored, and she was able to share her impressions and said there's a home where Mary lived and went and on and on. So John the Apostle built this for her, and it was, covered, it was buried for years. It's on, an, it's on a mountaintop called Nightingale Mountain. And they found it and restored part of it because it had fallen into disrepair and rubble. And there's a chapel there now, and there are nuns that sit and pray all day long. And see, the beautiful thing is about this, I'm not, I wasn't there. I don't know. But what I know is that our hearts long for the sacred. And whether Jesus' mother lived there or not, there's enough people that believe it is true. It has a sacred quality to it. It gives some, many people a place to point. But what her story, the story that I was given, is here's a mother that watched her son go out and answer his call and watched him 
be crucified because of it. That he came along to, to, to talk about unconditional love and about nurturing. And so whether the story is factual or not, it's a, tr- a story of truth. That when we give birth to things, we have to set them free. When we give birth to things, we have to trust that the right things are happening, despite what looks like tragedy. There's a, there's a group, when they found this, some of the priests from the West had done some of the research and they went to look, and at two, two different times they discovered the, the old home. And it seemed to fit the description that they were given through this, this visionary um, German nun. And over time, it was discovered and then it was forgotten, and now the popes, the Catholic popes go there and they say a mass. Because what they realize is that the people, even before it was discovered, the local people on the Feast of the Assumption, which I believe is the, the, um, the death of, of that celebrated as the death of um, Mother Mary, would make a pilgrimage and they would have a ceremony there. But see, the point is, once again, it's not if it was historical, but it, there's an aliveness there that we create. Any space be, can become sacred if we give birth to that. You know, I, on Mother's Day, um, you know, growing up in, in the house that uh, um, I grew up in, we had so much competition for mom's uh, attention because my mother and father's dream was to have as many kids as they possibly could. That was their dream. You know, I look at it and go, what were these people thinking? <laughs> but that was their dream. And so they fulfilled that dream because their tradition, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, my mother's in an uh, assisted living facility now. I'm not able to t- speak to her on the phone. She doesn't have a telephone. I'm going to text my sisters and, and, and see if they can just wish her happy Mother's Day later. Uh, so through a variety of circumstances, no telephone contact, and she's starting to, to lose you know, all of the faculties. Her, her vision is going. She's on a pacemaker. They just had to take her in and tune up the pacemaker this week. And She's 93 years old, and she's had a wonderful life. But for me, I can't change any of that. I can't change her, her and, and for, for all of us, we have people in our life like that. We're not going to change the fires in Fort McMurray. But what can we stand in that is the most loving and, 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 and beautiful opportunity of compassion and, lo- and love and, and beauty and joy possible? So that's what they say is Mary's home, and it has a sacred energy around it because people have agreed to that. And the next slide, there's some, uh, I think we can read it. There it is. That's the little chant I was singing with you. We're going to learn that. There's more to this over the next few weeks. We've got some things happening with music. But I love that, this beautiful chant. Loving spirit lives, dwells in me. This is my divinity. As within, so without. All I need is here and now. Isn't that beautiful? Loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity, as within, so without. All I need is here and now. Loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity, as within, so without. All I need is here and now. So if you see me driving around Edmonton singing, I'm probably singing that. 
Why not? Why not? But we need practices like that in our lives to remind us that we, either have, to step, we have to step into that, that the relationship when we get lost. And if we don't have that practice and we don't have that established in our lives, it's really easy to spin in the muchness of life. And then we take on too much, which becomes exhausting. What is mine to hold here for people? How can I stand in the, the grace and the beauty of what as life washes itself through me? And to really know that life is eternal and that everyone has shown up here to have these experiences for the evolution of their souls, which is all that spirit wants for us, is the, the fullness of life, which is what I love about Dr. Ernest Holmes. Dr. Holmes wrote this, and it's called the chapter on prayer and prosper in this beautiful, amazing book called Your Spiritual Power, a collection of inspirational writings. And he said, not much speaking, but deep feeling. And I think this is so beautiful and it's part of his genius. Not much speaking, but deep feeling. He said, it is not because of much speaking that we are heard. He's talking about our prayer work now. He said, but rather because of deep, earnest, and prayerful acceptance. In this divine communion, we should not try to think out beforehand what words we are going to use. See, this is one of the arts of practitioner. It's not to, not to rehearse the words we're going to use because I'm going to dazzle them with my words. But it's so easy to do that because it's that performance anxiety that drives us to, boy, I'm going to show up and really be the, the best practitioner I can be and I'll have it all memorized and I'll dazzle them with my words. No, he says, our words should be the outcome of a deep inner conviction which goes beyond words, but which at the same time gives birth to them. Instead of listening to what we are saying, we should say what we are listening to. Instead of listening to what we are saying, we should say what we are listening to. So when you sit down with someone and do prayer work and they're rattling off a bunch of words, you'll know in your heart where it's coming from. That's not to say right or wrong, good or bad, we all grow into this. But when we can listen deeply from that perspective, our words should become an outcome of a deep inner conviction which goes beyond words but which at the same time give birth to them. We're here to give birth. We are here to all mother a new idea, a new possibility, to be the midwives of newness that blesses not only our lives, but the lives of everyone. And so when we stand in our prayer work and we spin in the frustration and the sadness and sorrow, and that's part of it, that's part of the mourning process that goes on when tragedy strikes. But then to pull ourselves up as quickly as possible and say, what is mine to do here? What am I being guided and informed to do here? And to live in that beautiful relationship. I have it, there it is. Our words should be the outcome of a deep inner conviction which goes beyond words, but which at the same time gives birth to them. So this week, and going forward, that's our opportunity. It is at the feeling tone that gives those words power. He says there might be a few words used in certain prayers or meditations, but the words would be very, but the words would be very meaningful. When we address the divine presence within and around us, we should not do so with empty phrases, but with thoughts filled with the deepest sense of reality. The deepest sense of reality. And that takes time. That takes climbing into that hammock. Climbing into that hammock. It doesn't matter how we get in there. There'll probably be a run on hammocks somewhere today, but they're climbing into that hammock where we are held and relaxing and then listening to what is informing us and blessing us. And then we bless 
those that have given us birth. We bless our teachers that guide us, our mentors and coaches. We bless our neighbors who have tempted us over and over and over again not to love them, not to love them because that's the way life works. Anybody here been tempted not to love somebody? Yeah, me too. Me too. But see, this is the way it's set up. Reverend Marcia Sutton always says, eventually you'll get to a point in your spiritual practice where you will get down and kiss the feet of those that have tempted you not to love them. And we are a teaching that talks about embodying the Christ consciousness. And one of the things that I'm so aware of in my own journey is what that represents for me is you accept everything that comes into your life with humility and gratitude. Because once you understand what people are saying, the accusations, the blessing of accusation, is really their perception of themselves. And not in a way to throw it back at them, but just understand it. Go, thank you so much for sharing. You know, the, the scoundrel in you recognizes the scoundrel in me. You got anybody in your life that you think's a scoundrel? You wouldn't recognize him if it wasn't alive in you. I'm not saying you're acting it out, but you understand the language of that. And we hold that in place by our accusation, by our judgment. And that's why releasing it and blessing it and thanking it is so powerful because it frees us. I look at my children, I look at my mom, I look at the legacy of things going on and I know that I'm, so, I'm devoted to continuing to clean my own consciousness and to free up those, those legacies of error belief that no one needs anymore. But it, when we're unconscious, we don't have the opportunity to bring a different consciousness to it. And so for me, when Dr. Holmes says, what is the feeling tone? And listen to the words. Not that I'm com- coming from my head, but what is informing my heart and speak those. So on this Mother's Day 2016, bless you for being here. Bless you for the people that you've given birth to that have given us birth in whatever capacity, great or, or poorly. They gave what they had. They gave what they could. But I know that you and I have an opportunity to give birth to whatever we choose. And that is so refreshing and beautiful. And so it is.